Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome, Bobby Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty. I'm too. My name's Justin Christopher. I'm a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all my teams 365 days a year. So to you, so let's talk some Dynasty on episode number 206, Week 9 Review. Week 9 did not provide the fantasy fireworks that we saw last week, apart from a few players, that is. More on them in a minute. Uh, but most of the NFL games did come down to the wire, and it was fun to just watch on Sunday. I know I enjoyed watching the games throughout the day. Even though my fantasy team struggled quite a bit, and the teams that I was rooting against as a Cowboys fan ended up winning their games. So even so, it's still a blast to follow all the games on Sunday. And after following all the Week 9 games, uh, here's some of my general observations. Talk a little bit about some waiver wire picks that I think you should pick up this week. And I'll talk about trades that went down in my leagues, just to give you an idea how other Dynasty Freaks are valuing uh, players at this time of season. Well, first of all, observation-wise, the NFL trade deadline occurred the day after I posted this podcast, or really the morning of. I posted this podcast last week, the day after I recorded it. So I didn't really have a chance to talk about the trades and which players I thought were winners, losers, and maybe some I'm going to categorize as undecided. So I thought I'd talk just a little bit about those that I think are winners and losers from a dynasty perspective. Uh, First, let's talk winners. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, he was traded to the Vikings, which immediately crushed the dynasty value of Irv Smith. Uh, If his first week with the Vikings is any indication, Hawkinson deserves a little boost in his dynasty value too. He jumped right into the starting lineup for the Vikings and contributed a team-high nine receptions for 70 yards. And Kirk Cousins, he's just a better quarterback than Jared Goff. And the Vikings' offense is also playing better than the Lions. Hawkinson's didn't really have much room, you know, to move up in dynasty rankings, but this really, this trade really solidified his role, where it was starting to get a little bit questionable there. It's true that he tends to be very inconsistent throughout his career, but I'm be curious to see if the Vikings are actually going to make him a more reliable fantasy starter. I think that they can. So, props up the winner for Hawkinson. Another winner was uh, Jeff Wilson, who got traded to Miami right after they traded away Chase Edmonds. More on him in a moment. And Wilson uh, was the most active and productive running back with the Dolphins in his first week with the team. Pretty crazy. Wilson saw his dynasty value plummet after Christian McCaffrey was traded to the 49ers. Uh, But then he had a bounce right back after he was traded to the Dolphins uh, just about a week later. So pretty wild. He was traded back to the Dolphins whose coach, Mike McDaniel, led the 49ers offense for years with Mostert and Wilson splitting work there. Now McDaniel has brought Mostert to the Dolphins in free agency, and now he's brought Wilson to the team on a trade. Pretty crazy. Uh, Wilson's presence has already impacted Mostert's fantasy impact, and he's really lowered it quite a bit. And then Wilson and Mostert are you know, definitely older backs, so I don't think that their dynasty value is really going to rise too high, uh, but they are valuable players to help teams that are on little playoff runs right now until the Dolphins... I think ultimately draft a running back of the future. Still kind of good to have both of these guys uh, being, you know, make an impact on our dynasty rosters. Next, I'd mention Naheem Hines. Um, he didn't make an impact in his first week with the Bills, uh, but I think that he's going to find his role increased once the season kind of continues to develop. Uh, the Bills have uh, been grasping for this pass catching, you know, running back since the offseason when they tried to sign JD McKissick and that fell through. And then they drafted James Cook, but they obviously aren't too happy with what they've seen in him because now they traded for Hines, which is pretty wild. I think that they have plans for Hines, and I think that we'll see it once he acclimates to the team. He didn't prove it this first week, but I still consider him a dynasty winner 
with the Bills. And his addition to the team quenches the dynasty value of James Cook significantly. And Devin Singletary, I'd just say slightly. I think Singletary is going to keep his role as the most used first and second round, the second down back. But Hines is going to get the passing downs, the hurry up offense, and things like that. So those are some of the winners. As far as losers, really two stand out to me. That would be Zach Moss and Chase Edmonds. See, they're both dynasty losers after they were traded to the Colts and the Broncos, uh, respectively. They have top-tier dynasty running backs ahead of them already in their rosters, and they even uh, have, really, you could argue, capable backs that actually could demote them to being third-string running backs on their teams. So Moss and Edmonds were definitely the dynasty losers, lost the most dynasty value this last week. And then there's a few that I just consider undecided. I think there's a few players of whom I just need a little bit more time to be ready to call them winners or losers with their new teams. The verdict, I'd say, is still out on these players. So I'm not prepared to take a stand on them. I'd be reluctant to trade for them. I'd be reluctant to trade them away. I just kind of want to wait and see a little bit on these three. Uh, first is Calvin Ridley. Got traded to Jacksonville, where he can try to revive his career after a year-long suspension for gambling. Uh, Ridley, we all, we all know, was once a top 10, 20 dynasty receiver, but his mental health issues and the gambling suspension have caused his value to drop over the last two seasons, and he's really just seldom been on the field for us to evaluate. Now, if he can get his mind right, he definitely has several more years of production ahead of him, but that's a pretty big assumption. Um, I'm only ready you know, to, uh, to make uh, a stand on him once I kind of hear from him and see how he's doing mentally or see him on the field. Jacksonville has a lot of outs in this very complex trade. It was a really wild trade with all the different scenarios as to what the trade compensation will be. So they've got a lot of ways to get out of this trade without costing them very much. So they'll find out pretty quickly if he has his mind right and can make the team or not. Next player I'm kind of putting in the undecided category is Chase Claypool. Uh, it was traded to Chicago, where the offense is drastically improving uh, while their passing volume is still among the league's worst. Uh, but he should still quickly settle into an R uh, wide receiver two role behind Darnell Mooney. But the Bears really need to make pretty significant improvements in their passing game for the wide receiver two role to be viable from a, venous, from a fantasy perspective. It's true, Justin Fields is improving every week, had a tremendous game this week, but he's just going to need to pass more and run less to cause Claypool's dynasty value to rise. But I'm not sure that's what Chicago needs to do. What they're doing seems to be working for them. So it's going to be kind of a wait and see for Claypool for me. Last player I want to wait and see on is Kadarius Toney. He was traded to the Chiefs um, and received you know, the first target of the game on Sunday night. Really wasn't involved in the offense much beyond that before they actually force-fed him one ball uh, later in the game as well. Um, I've questioned Tony's uh, mental makeup. That's why I didn't have him highly ranked as a rookie compared to most people. And it's been the mental thing that's kept him from moving. Some of it injury-related, but some of it character-related, which is why the Giants were ready to move on for him. I don't think that he can ever become the Tyree kill for Mahomes. I think people saying that are pretty crazy. But I think he could carve out a role. It's just not really going to be a big one because the team is distributing the ball to so many players this season. And now it's Kelsey and Juju, more on him later, who are really receiving the lion's share, lion's share of the targets. Uh, even if he proves me wrong and gets his mind right, uh, he's got a lot of competition uh, for the future. So I'm not sure what to think about him from a dynasty's perspective just yet. Those are some ideas on the trades, winners, losers. Now we can talk some about this week, and we have to start with what I'll call the game wrecker, the game wrecker of Joe Mixon. Uh, he was definitely this week's game wrecker. Last week we had lots of game records. This time we really just had Mixon and perhaps uh, Justin Fields. So after a terrible game last Monday night, last week, the Bills kind of, I mean, the Bengals kind of altered their game plan radically, and they fed Mixon 22 carries. Most of those were in the first half compared to just eight carries that he received last week. 
and then they got, he carried the team uh, to victory and fantasy teams to victory. Pretty incredible. Uh, player on Dynasty rosters this week, you know, aren't going to be able to overcome his 55 points and five touchdowns. Uh, it was real interesting, though. I heard a lot of PFF uh, metrics uh, leading up to this game that was saying that Mixon was actually one of the least efficient running backs in the NFL when you compare his actual fantasy points with his predicted fantasy points. So he was way off the charts as far as inconsistency that he should have been scoring a lot more fantasy points. Well, it's just a matter of time, and now it's balanced out. He finally got all caught up on his fantasy points in one week. Uh, hopefully he can be more consistent. That's what we really want from him, more consistency in his production the rest of the season. I think the Bengals have a bye week this week, and I hope that they take the time to realize that they need to just be more committed uh, to run the ball, uh, even when their offensive line is struggling like it is. If so, this could undoubtedly not be Mixon's, uh, this will not just be Mixon's only 100-yard rushing and multiple touchdown game of the season. He can do it again if they use this bye week to get right. Congrats if you had him on your rosters. Apologies if you played against him. Um, I had one of each this week. Had him on one roster, one. Played against him on one roster, got crushed. Next thing I'll say is uh, better late than never. Uh, two once highly thought of players uh, had their best fantasy games of their young careers and are getting more involved in the offenses. I'm talking about Cole Kment and Terrace Marshall. Cole Kment scored two touchdowns on Sunday and had a season high in targets as well. Uh, he scored 19.5 fantasy points, the best of his three-year career. And as Justin Fields and the Bears' offense continues to improve, Kement should see his role in fantasy production increase finally, something his managers have been waiting for and thought would happen a lot earlier in the season. Maybe it's just taking this long. Meanwhile, there's Terrence Marshall, uh, Terrence Marshall, who scored his first touchdown of his career, and he's seen his snap percentage grow to more than 90% of the snaps since Robbie Anderson was traded. Managers who patiently held Marshall on their rosters, while he rarely even saw the field his first year and a half, maybe get rewarded now for his patient, for their patience. Uh, the Panthers were not such a terrible team. There'd be even more reason to hope for him. Uh, but that said, the Panthers are going to be a prime position to draft a quarterback in the 2023 draft, and Marshall could really benefit. Uh, he has a chance now at the end of the season to prove to the Carolina management and then whoever ultimately comes over to coach the team next that he really can be a suitable and productive wide receiver too opposite of DJ Moore. So pretty fun that Komet and Marshall, both second-round type draft picks and rookie drafts their years, uh, but they've been just kind of on the roster bubble. I've even seen some of them dropped from rosters. Um, but now they're finally showing some signs of hope. Better late than never, I'd say. Next one's kind of a fun one because I have a little bit of a vendetta here, but I'll call it past his prime. Aaron Rodgers, he's just not startable in one quarterback leagues for the first time in his career. Pretty wild. His performance on Sunday was pathetic. And as much as Rodgers likes to blame others, uh, he has no one to blame but himself for this week. Rodgers threw three interceptions, including two in the end zone, and he completed a season's worst 53.5% of his passes on Sundays. Pretty terrible for the guy that's no, normally so efficient. He is missing a lot of weapons, and even more Packers got hurt in this game. But, you know, the best quarterbacks still can carry their teams to victories and fantasy wins. Rodgers, get this, has yet to score more than 20 fantasy points this season. He's averaging 16.3 points per game. For comparison, Geno Smith is averaging 20.6 per game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, 17.9. Daniel Jones, 17.75. Marcus Mariota, 16.9. Now, who would have thought that those list of players, Geno Smith, Trevor Lawrence, Daniel Jones, Marcus Mariota, would be scoring more than Rodgers, but they are. Something is definitely off for Rodgers, and he just doesn't have it this year. He can't be trusted as a starter in lineups, and he's actually bringing down the entire offense, which is actually 
27th in the league in points per game. They're just scoring 17.1 points per game. It's normally sad to see a player like this with such incredibly fantasy productive career uh, that made so many players around him productive start to go downhill. But in Rodgers' case, it's not sad for me at all. Uh, his act's really gotten old and tired for me, and his arrogance, his finger-pointing are annoying. Uh, he deserves what he's getting, and he needs to point the finger in the mirror and look at himself. One more thing I'd mention here before we talk some waiver wire and trades, I'll say getting his juju back. Uh, during the first part of the season, I've uh, you know talked about on these podcasts that Kansas City's offense, minus Tyreek Hill, has really just started to distribute the ball evenly, and it's really hard to decide if there's anyone worth starting as a pass catcher besides Travis Kelsey. But still, in recent weeks, the tide has turned, and Juju Smith-Schuster has really established himself as a wide receiver one and the second most targeted player on the team. Juju has had eight targets in five of the first seven games, and then he received 12 targets this week, uh, the first week after the Chiefs' bye, which I think is significant. Other wide receivers have scored more touchdowns than Juju, so that's kind of disappointing, but he's received the bulk of the targets and yards, which for me is far more important. Um, before this week, I kind of have been saying that Kelsey was the only reliable starter for the Chiefs. That includes, I mean, minus Mahomes, of course, but that includes the running backs, who I don't think are startable, uh, at least not reliable. But now I think Juju is starting to provide a safe floor, uh, particularly in PPR leagues. Uh, the Chiefs have made the shift in Mahomes' eyes, and Kelsey are just for Kelsey and Juju right now above everyone else. His dynasty value is on the rise again. It's never going to return to the kind of top 12 dynasty value he had after those first few years in Pittsburgh. But he's moved back up to 41st in my rankings, and he could really you know, have room to grow. After all, he's only 25 years old. Let's talk some waiver wire for week nine. Put this out for you guys on Tuesday morning so you can think about the waiver wire. Pretty bad week this week. It seems like all the last couple weeks have been pretty bad. No one really to go after pretty hard. But I'll mention a few players and remind you that I'm in leagues that have 300 to 360 players rostered. So deep dynasty leagues, there's definitely better players to, to go after if you're not in leagues like that. But in the leagues that I'm a part of, here's some of the guys I'd even be thinking about. First would be Samari Tori. Um, Samori Tori, is, uh, he saw the quick uptick in snacks after Ro- snaps after Romeo uh, Dobbs left the game with an ankle injury early in the game. And he received several deep ball shots down the field from the aforementioned Aaron Rodgers, uh, even though they failed to connect on the deep balls. Uh, he was drafted in the seventh round by the Packers, so they have a slight interest in seeing what they can do with him. And if this short window of opportunity is here with Dobbs injured, and now Christian Watson also back in the uh, concussion protocol, uh, he's got a little chance here. He really can't play worse than Sammy Watkins, which is pretty frustrating. The Packers are still giving 60 snaps to Watkins, who played terrible on that game, compared to Torrey's uh, just 28. I think that needs to change, and they need to give him a chance. Uh, he's the only player, really, I'd consider adding from a dynasty perspective this week, for sure. Other two, though, I'll mention, uh, one would be Kylan Hill. Uh, Hill was my top-targeted player on waivers uh, earlier this morning, and then I heard that Aaron Jones' MRI revealed no significant damage, and so the team reported that he's likely to return to play even this week against my Cowboys. Uh, Hill was one of my favorite late-round targets in the 2021 rookie class, and he had a few great plays and some great games, actually, in the preseason before he tore his ACL last season. Uh, he's the only, you know, only addable player. He's only an addable player um, in uh, deepest of leagues. But I kind of wanted to mention him here just to keep him on the radar at the very least. Just add him to your scout teams. Last player I'll mention would be Jordan Wilkins. Uh, Wilkins was called up from the practice squad last week after Jonathan Taylor was declared out, and he played almost one third of the snaps on Sunday in his first game back with the team. Uh, Deion Jackson seemed to have sustained a severe injury on Sunday, but he later came back to the game. 
So the Colts, you know, I would say right now they're just a big dumpster fire right now. Uh, they just fired their head coach, uh, Frank Reich, so that's pretty sad. Uh, so I would not be surprised if they just shut Jonathan Taylor down for the season, which could give Wilkins, you know, a chance to play more and maybe secure up a backup role for the future now that Naheem Hines is gone and has been traded to Buffalo. Uh, Wilkins may have a chance to do something like that, so he's at least a third player I'd consider this week in the deepest of leagues. And we had a lot of trades in my leagues this week. Pretty exciting, so let me mention several of them here. The first was one uh, that I made. Here's some of the trades, some of my thoughts on the trades. First was Deontay Foreman. I told you last week that I thought he'd be the most traded for player this week, and he was. Uh, Deontay Foreman and Eno Benjamin for a 2023 second-round pick and a 2024 third-round pick. So Deontay Foreman and Eno Benjamin for a second and then a future third. This was my trade. I traded away the future picks for these two running backs that I thought could help my contending team make a push in the playoffs. I have a super solid team in this league, except for the RB2 position. That's really my only weakness. All my flex spots are great, too. I lost Javante Williams in this league, so I've just been scrambling at my RB2 position. I've managed to score a lot of points in, in this league, uh, still among the top high, highest scoring teams. But the RB2 weakness has called me to fall, fall a little bit behind um, in the standings. And so I wanted to shore up my floor at the RB2 spot. And so um, I you know, feel like I'm going to be a top three team in this league and figured that this 2023 second round pick is going to be a late one. And I rarely care about third round picks, so I threw that one in too. I uh, kind of regret giving up the second round pick. I do think I overpaid a bit, but this is a team that I'm pretty excited about. I feel like this could help me just get that little bit of a floor with those players. Hopefully Foreman plays better than he did this last week and returns back to the two weeks that he had prior to that. The other team in this trade is rebuilding, so they were just pleased to get additional picks for these players uh, that don't have the greatest dynasty long-term value. It's helping him a lot in his rebuilding process, so trade made sense for both of us. Next time, uh, next trade was Deontay Foreman again, was traded for Rex Burkhead, of all people, and a 2023 third. Uh, this is another competitive team in one of my leagues. Wanted to add Foreman just to kind of help them a little bit in their playoff push. Uh, he only had given up, you know, he only had to give up a third round pick instead of a second and a third like I did. Uh, I don't know what the Rex Burkhead part of this is, but I'd say that he probably paid a little bit more per, uh, fair price. Like I already said, I think I overpaid. Burkhead's a strange player to throw in. Doesn't make sense to me, but he was added to this deal for some reason too, though he'll likely never see the starting lineup on this team's roster. I think I like the Foreman side of this trade. Like I said, I, I overpaid and gave a second and a third uh, to get Foreman, but that was also Foreman and Eno Benjamin. Um, so, Pretty fair assessment. I knew Foreman would be the most traded player, and sure enough, he was. Next trade was a big one. Josh Jacobs, when, and two third-round picks, one in 2023 and one in 2024, was traded for two first-round picks in 2023 and 2024. So two first-round picks for Josh Jacobs, and then they threw on a couple third-round picks too. Uh, big trade. It was executed late Saturday night. Uh, There's a trade where I was actually in a contending team, and so I was going after Jacobs in this league too. I offered the manager a first-round pick for Jacobs, and then I sent a separate offer, just Debo Samuel, straight up for Jacobs, trying to give him two options because I knew he was trying to sell as he starts his rebuild. But man, he found a much better deal than the one I was willing to give him because he got two first-round picks for Jacobs instead. He jumped on that deal, and really it's going to help him with his rebuilding process while the Jacobs manager is the reigning champ and is just trying to make another Super Bowl run. Uh, Jacobs has um, cooled off significantly over the last few weeks, and I kind of banked on the fact that maybe this might be a little bit of a low point for him and maybe he could get more for him. But man, based on the offers I traded, I thought that he was worth, you know, something like Debo Samuel or just one first-round pick. But this team was willing to give up two first-round picks. I think giving two picks is too much for Jacobs. 
uh, two first-round picks. So I like the pick side of this trade, no matter what the roster composition was of each team. A few more small trades that took place in my league, but I'll mention them still. Uh, one was Dion Jackson. Uh, he was traded for a 2023 third-round pick. Uh, the team that traded for Jackson does have Jonathan Taylor on his roster, so he was just trying to shore up an RB2 start for this week. I think he paid a fair, paid a fair price for it, uh, maybe to be what you might deem uh, Taylor's handcuff right now. I wish the Jackson manager, knowing that uh, he needed this player just for this week, maybe would have held him over a barrel a little bit to try to get more for Jackson. Uh, but given you know, that, I doubt that he would have been able to, you know, been willing to pay more than a third round. So price seems about right. Uh, Jackson, in this case, didn't help his team this week, but his team won anyway, so that's okay. Uh, there's not a player on the Colts that I'd trust going forward. Like I said, I feel like they're a dumpster fire. This may have just been a week one fill-in uh, that didn't net much. I doubt that he will be started, Jackson, the rest of the season on this team. This team is just too bad. The Colts need much more. Then there was Jared Goff. He was traded for a 20, uh, 2023 second-round pick. One manager in this one quarterback league got off, got kind of stuck in a pickle uh, with both of his starting quarterbacks on bye weeks this week. His team's actually 8-0, so he wanted to do his best to stay undefeated, and so he acquired a quarterback rather than take a zero at the position. He found the perfect seller, too, because there's a re rebuilding team that's just compiling picks, and this seller now has three first-round picks and three second-round picks in 2023. Uh, he's going to have a blast rebuilding his team. And Goff is a perfect player since he already signed Justin Fields and Matt Stafford on a squad. He's already got them, so he's willing to trade away Goff for sure. Sadly, the addition of Goff will likely not result in a win for this 8-0 team, depending on what happens on Monday night. It may not have helped him stay undefeated, but either way, it's a fair trade. We know it's going to be a late-round pick in the second round. And last but not least, one silly trade that took place was Jermichael Hasty, who was traded for Travis Homer. Uh, this trade only makes sense when you know the context, and this was two handcuffs that were traded for handcuffs. And so the team that traded for Hasty has Travis Etienne on his roster, and the team that traded Homer has uh, Kenneth Walker on his roster. That's it. Just a simple handcuff trade. Handcuff for handcuff. And contrary to some dynasty managers, if you followed me and other analysts, uh, don't think this, but I think it's good to have your own handcuffs. And so I approve of trades like this because both teams have maybe slight sense of security now, at least at that running back position. Small trade, but still being honest and wanting to mention all the trades that took place in my leagues. Anyway, that's a wrap for week number nine. My freaky friends, thanks so much for listening. Make the two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. Much better on email than Twitter, so please contact me that way. I'd be honored if you take time to rate review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot for me as an independent podcaster. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.